Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Now, from Happy Valley, here's your host, Brian Tripp. Welcome to another episode of Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Brian Tripp with you once again, kicking off the 2020 slate of guests, and no better way to do it than with a coach whose season's about to get underway. You wouldn't know looking outside the window today, but Amanda Lahotek, the head coach of the Penn State softball team, now going into her seventh season here in Happy Valley. Coach, it's great to see you. Hey, Happy New Year to you, man. It's great to be back. I love that there's three inches of snow on the field and feels just like uh, January in Pennsylvania. So before we get into your team and everything going on with getting ready for a new season, you have to tell me, where was the best fly fishing spot you hit up once the season came to an end and during the off season? You know, I will say I rocked it down at Benner Pike this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like they knew I was coming. They rose and I had a really good dry fly fishing season. However, my nymphing, which I don't know if it means anything to you, was awful. And I'm very disappointed in myself. I've heard the term. What is what is nymphing? So nymphing is when you fish underwater for trout. So dry flies, like you put it up on mm-hmm. top of the water, they come and get it. And then so it's like, you know, spinners will call it like worms, but mm. you're underwater. You're not underwater. I'm not underwater. My feet are. Okay. I have fallen and have been underwater twice, <laughs> but I don't like to talk about those. When you were looking for jobs, did you realize that Penn State had some of the best fly fishing in America? Is that why you wanted to come to Penn State? No. Not at the time. I just started fly fishing. Uh, That was just an added bonus that I didn't know about. How did you get into it? Um, I've always been, I always grew up fishing, so I've always loved it. And then when I was down in Texas, uh, I met a guy on a bank who's like, you need to try bass fishing on a fly rod. So I went and I tried it and that was super fun. And then when I came here, I went in the water and I was, uh, at that time, I didn't realize I was scaring the fish and I was just trying. And then a very... Now, nice gentleman. I didn't think he was nice at the time. Yelled down the stream, asked me if I was an idiot and if I was trying to scare all the trout in the state of Pennsylvania. So I uh, got out and I walked up the stream and I told him where the sun can go. And then I said, and if you are so smart about fly fishing, why don't you teach me? And he said, if you will not scare all the fish and there's a lot of adult language in there that you can insert. He's like, if you'll stop doing what you're doing, I will teach you. And then now he's a good buddy of mine, and he helps me be better. That's the state college community, always willing to help out. <laughs> and now that I know what I know and what I was doing, he had absolutely every right to call me every name in the book that he did. <laughs> That's kind of like coaching, right? As years go on, you learn more and more about yourself and about how to coach. Absolutely, 100%. So when did you realize, and this is kind of where we start with all our guests, and we've had so many coaches on. We've had Coach Campersall, Coach Godowski, Coach Dombach. When did you realize that you wanted to get into coaching? Because if I remember right after school from our conversations before, you went into pharmaceutical sales, I want to say? Correct. I, I called the real world. I entered the real world because my whole family was in coaching. My mm-hmm. sister is still a college coach. My dad was a college coach at the time, now an athletic director at a small university. Um, so I was like, they're nuts. I mean, those people, they don't sleep. They age. Um they're just crazy. So I'm not going to be them. And then so I went into the real world, but then my high school called me and in Nebraska, you do your high school season in the fall. Mm-hmm. And so they asked to come, uh, Michaela Jacobson, she just retired actually called me and said, why don't you come give back and help me out? And the whole come give back got me. So I went back and after the first day of practice, that was the first time I ever coached. I was like, this is exactly what I want to do. So you were hooked. 
I was 100% hooked, yes. As the years have gone on, you said that you don't sleep a lot. So how, how has your sleep been? Awful. Yeah, I really appreciate melatonin. That really helps from January to May. And you do age. And it is the greatest job ever. Why is it the greatest job ever? Uh, because, you know, I think you get to build. You get to see things. You get to watch uh, people grow. You know, an 18-year-old and a 22-year-old are very different things. And I think a lot of coaches are... You know, they're kind of like an acquired taste. So you get to see them at 22, and then they call you again at 25, and they understand. And, you know, so you can kind of see that growth through their whole life. And you know, being a coach, you just play a small but integral part of it. So watching that development, building, uh, being able to give back, and, you know, in the community. And that's what I love about Penn State is Penn State's all about never forgetting who came before you and always paying it forward. So that's been really fun. And, It's just, um, it's a hard job, but it's a great job. And that's why I'm guessing college athletics is the perfect age range, the perfect group of girls for you, because you're not only impacting them on the softball field, but you're dealing with them at such a critical age in their development as a person, as a, in academics, in their studies. There's so many things that go into coaching a, a college player. It's not just coaching them in softball, you're coaching them in life. Yeah, exactly. That's what I love about it. You know, it's so funny because we're really measured on, you know, 55 games a year. Mm -hmm. um, But you coach every day of the year. And there's so many things that I would say coaches can never, a team and a coach can never tell their side of the story. Um, And so that's always fascinating. But that's what I love. I love the puzzle pieces. I love, you know, watching them grow and they come in and they're very passionate about, you know, this certain subject maybe. Then by the time their senior year, you know, they're like, I don't know what I was even thinking, you know. And (laughs) it's just great to watch them go through such a unique phase of life. I'm so glad to be a part of it. Were you ready when you got your first head coaching job at 25? Not at all. You know, I mean, the ego in you is like, oh yeah, I can do this. But no, I drove down the street and I called my dad and I said, what did I do? And he goes, well, I don't know, but <laughs> you'll be all right. Just put your head down and go to work. And so that's what I've tried to do. Can you tell the listeners, I know we've had a chance to talk with coaches shows and everything in the past, a little bit about your family and their influence on you and what they've been able to achieve in the coaching world as well. Yeah, I mean, my family come from a very successful line of coaches. You know, my dad started the program at Bellevue University. It's an NAIA. And in the first year, he never, I think he coached 13 years in college, and he never not won one of the conference titles. And even this, his first year from scratch of being able to do that. And he will be the first to tell you he wasn't great at X's and O's. He was just a great motivator and putting people, making them play better, than they even thought they could and putting them in the right place to be successful at the right time. Uh, Now he's an athletic director and I think he's one athletic director like the past five years. I don't know. We don't reward him or congratulate him anymore um, because it's all we hear about. So, (laughs) you know, he's our father. So (laughs) we're like, Oh, that's great. Yeah. Okay. Dad, Uh, you still have to make me my favorite meal when I come home and he does. So that's all I care about. What is it? Uh, It's called meatballs and gravy. Don't you, give me that look. You have to elaborate. Don't give me that look. <laughs> you have to elaborate. It's, so I don't like meatloaf because I feel like meatloaf is bouncy and it makes weird like noises. When you, yeah, I can't yeah. stand the texture of meatloaf. But it's kind of like meatloaf, but it's like a meatball cooked in brown gravy. And then you put it over mashed potatoes. It's interesting. And this is a completely different subject. Why some people don't like certain foods. Sometimes it's taste. Sometimes it's smell. But texture is important. I I think that gets overlooked sometimes. Yeah. Like a tomato. I can't handle how it like explodes. (laughs) I can't do it. (laughs) You mentioned that your dad had strengths as a coach. What do you think your strengths are as a coach as you've developed here? 
Um, you know, it's funny because my sister's a college coach and she's top 25 every year and mm-hmm. she's won a national championship in division two and is now at NAIA and always coach of the year on top of her conference as well. And I think she's a lot like my father in the fact that they're great motivators, great connectors. Uh, obviously they know the game at a high level, but they do such a great job of getting their teams to play at a high level emotionally and mentally, where I think I'm more of the X's and O's. Um, I try to get people more around me to manage that for me because I'm so, in my personality, I'm so direct. It can come off very strong. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just don't like to mince words. I just like for everybody to know exactly where they stand. I feel like it's the ultimate respect. Um, You know, so for me, it's the X's and O's and then getting through the X's and O's, getting the team to play together where I think they're more on the front end of the culture piece Mm -hmm. and then they get them to play where I'm more about the X's and O's and the intricacy, you know, the small parts of the game the stats, and then through that, I get everybody to play together. I do the same thing when I get to a word I think I want to say and no, I just skip it if I can't say it correctly. Uh, do you notice how I started? I, I got did. like halfway through the word and I just, <laughs> I've done I abort admission. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so as we sit <laughs> I'm totally okay with it. <laughs> so as we sit here and you're getting ready and you're going into your spring and your preseason, what goes into mapping out how you want to achieve where you want to be by the time the first game hits February 7th? Um, it's exhausting, and I think my staff loves it and hates it. I mean, right in front of me, I have our Penn State Sopper report card mm-hmm. from everything of, you know, where we are of QABs, on-base percentage, slugging, of where we need to be to win a lot of games, um, where we need to be to compete the Big Ten. You know, so we kind of do last year's stats, this year's stats, based on our, our fall practices and our fall games. Um, and then we kind of map out what we think we need to do statistically to win a whole bunch of games based on – last year, this year in our competition, and then obviously adding the human element of, okay, now how do we do this? You know, is this realistic? Can we do this with our personnel that we have today? Um, And so we just do, it's a lot of conversations. It's a lot of pre-planning, and then it's a lot of, you know, going back to it. How much does it help to have, and this is either relating to your staff or any of the girls on the team, how much does it help to have stats to back up what you want to do and because look as a coach I'm sure you have instincts and some gut instincts that you feel you know what we could do this x y and z better but when you have that stats in the background to back it up how much does that help you enforce what you want to with your team and I think it's 50 50 because obviously you know Saban metrics really hit baseball few you know major league baseball a few years ago mm-hmm. and Moneyball and Oakland days and um you know that kind of infiltrated you know through all of the the lower levels after major league baseball so for me we use it more is so we're, we don't get wrapped up in our emotions um, of, you know, I feel like this kid's doing this. I feel like this kid's doing this. Well, is she actually doing it? Is this player really performing? Or, you know, is it bad luck? Are we not seeing her for who she is as an athlete? So to me, it just takes away the emotional piece of the coaching side. Um, there are things that, you know, that will always trump uh, the numbers, whether it's, you know, we all have a player that for whatever reason – your team is just better with that player on the field. Statistically, they may not belong on the field, but whether it's their communication, their presence, you know, they just make everybody better around them. You know, so there is that aspect, and that's why, you know, I love having a staff, and I love my staff because they can do that with me and hold me accountable to make sure I'm either too statistical-based or, you know, I think they're getting too emotional-based. So what is a day in January like for one of the players on your team? How do they go about their lift and the meetings that you have and making sure they're ready when first pitch flies? 
So we switched it up a little bit this year because we realized that um, obviously sleep is one of the most important things you can do for recovery. Mm-hmm. So we've completely removed all of our morning workouts. So now they're lifting before or after practice. And uh, in January, due to our weather issues, um, you know, our first practice is either four to six, six to eight or eight to 10. So they'll be lifting before or after, depending on how our practice falls inside Haluba in that regard. And, you know, they're usually start coming up here around two or three every day uh, for individuals, uh, for communication. Maybe we're watching film. You know, the great thing about technology is now um, you can send them most of their film so they can watch it, you know, if they want to on their own time, then come in and have those conversa- conversations. Um, so it's kind of you know, a little crazy in that regard. And it's kind of funny because we're on the road for six straight weeks, but some of the best teaching moments and conversations comes from being at the hotel because their homework's done and they're bored and, you know, everybody meets in the lobby and there's always a softball game on ESPN anymore. And you sit and talk shop and watch your own games. And, you know, so this is, I call this is like the due time where we're just kind of grinding away. And I think some of those higher level conversations really start when we play the game. And you'll start to get some actual in-game experiences to talk to them about too. Miami, Clearwater, what's I mean, what's the best trip going to be this year? Whichever one we win. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great answer. So I think, that is true. <laughs> yeah, we could go to Alaska. If we go 5-0, and oh, I love it. You know, <laughs> so um, we're so used to going down there. You know, mm-hmm. we actually kind of have a little fan base. It's relatively easy for us to get down there. Uh, we have amazing parents in the fact that most of our parents travel every weekend. So we always look like we have you know, a huge group, which we do. And, um, we just are so lucky to play. It's hard to come back, you know, to be inside Haluba, but, uh, Florida in February, there could be worse places. That's for sure. Yeah, certainly can be. What, uh, when you put the schedule together, what do you try to achieve before you're able to get up here and start with conference play at at such a great facility, Nittany Lions softball park? You know, for us, we're trying to, you know, do everything of you want big conferences for the RPI. Mm -hmm. And I want us to put us in some tough environments where they can get used to um, kind of being heckled, being yelled at, you know, we're going at Alabama. We've never, we've played at LSU many times. We've never played at, at Alabama. And I think, you know, every year we're kind of getting closer to finally busting through to get to that postseason that we need to be able to go and handle those environments. So we try to get in a really tough environment with high levels of competition, um, you know, so we can really make sure that our skin is as tough as we think we are and that makes sure we're always building that resiliency heading into conference. How important is that because of the league you play in? Really important because the Big Ten is getting tougher and tougher. I think we were third or fourth last year in the strongest uh, conference. I think we had six or seven go to regionals last year. Six. We just got to have it. And really the Big Ten, in my opinion, didn't lose much. And I think the Big Ten's even going to be stronger this year. So as... And when we're doing these podcasts, I know a lot of people listening, you might be picking this up. You could be listening to it in March, you could be listening to it in April. But when we do these podcasts, too, there's some relevance about when we are doing it. So we're sitting here in January, and your team's coming off the most wins since 2016. A program record, 49 home runs last year, most shutouts since 2011. So what is the feeling around your team as they head into the 2020 season? You know, it's funny that you asked me that right now because I just asked our team that yesterday. I call it sniping. So I was like just sniperfying them individually as they were walking by. And and because uh, the one thing I love about working with 18 to 22 year olds is they're very honest. <laughs> so, you know, it kind of went up to a couple of them. It's like, hey, how do you feel about the team? And for the first time ever, everybody was like, we're going to be pretty good. You know, that level of confidence of, you know, we feel like we have the pitching, we have the defense, we have the hitting. 
and everybody just feels that, you know, are we going to win a national championship this year? No, but we feel that we are the most competitive that we've ever been. You know, we're, we're healthy, knock on wood, you know, at this point, we're athletic, we're quick. And so the confidence is high, probably at the highest level, you know, and the areas of concern is because we talk about it, you know, all the time is just, can we handle the resiliency? The first time we get punched in the face, can we respond? Uh, where in the past, historically, it's taken us a couple games or two to respond, where we're going to take a quote from James Franklin this year of, don't let Minnesota beat you twice. And that's got to be our mentality of, no matter who beats us, how we win or lose, we just have to play our style of ball and focus on the next thing. And that's kind of the one area we've not been able to do. When you're playing 55 games, how does your team handle losing? Because it's inevitable at, at some point. We haven't handled it well. And what the problem is, you know, in our sport, no one has ever gone undefeated through the year because softball and baseball just aren't built for that. That's yep. the beauty of the sport. Uh, but that's where we have to be more resilient, where, you know, if we lost a game, you know, historically, if you look over the past few years, is we always lost the second game, and that's what has to stop. We know we're going to lose. You know, you can play well and lose, and you can play awful and win. You know, it's just kind of the nature of the beast where we have to move on a lot quicker. How is that for you as a competitor? Because you always want to win. To know that there can be in, in softball or baseball, sometimes there are such things as good losses. And maybe you view it differently than that, but you've heard coaches say that before. There are good losses where you can perform really well and you don't get the result, but in a long season that's 55 games, it, it may not matter in the grand scheme of things. Well, my director of ops always yells at me because – uh, she says I walk too fast because I don't like anybody walking beside me or ahead of me. So that's how competitive I am. <laughs> so it never feels good to I lose. Know. And I am convinced we can go 56-0. I cognitively understand that that's not how it works. Um, you know, so we got it, you know, coaching staff included, team included. We just got to focus on that process that it's about, you know, it's about the mission. It's about doing the little things. And I think we have to do a better job of taking great pride in the bounce back. And it's a lot easier when you have your whole tribe pooling as one. And it sounds like, at least coming into the year, that even just having that confidence and the optimism around the locker room, it feels like everyone is going to be pooling in that same direction. That's important for any team. Exactly. And I think it's that attitude piece. We've talked to the team a lot about the attitude piece of when we do lose, we've never had the attitude to come back and take it to the next team. It's always kind of we're such a process-oriented team. I think it's because they're so – high academic mm -hmm. that, you know, they have to overthink everything where it's just a game and we got to take the attitude piece and take all our emotions on the next game and not sit in our emotions for a game or two. We have to, you know, find it within us to, you know, attack the next team. You know, your office has a pretty good view. It's an amazing view. I'm very blessed. Yes. But I do see some empty seats. What's it like during the season when this place is full and you're coaching down in the dugout? Um... It's pretty amazing, actually. You know, one of my favorite things about the field is the acoustics. And I always tell recruits that. And, you know, the incoming freshmen after our first, like, real spring game, I'm always like, do you remember when I talked to you about the acoustics? And they're like, yeah. It's so – there's, like, an echo, and it's so loud on the field that you can have 500 people, and it's just as loud as when we have, you know, 1,200 people, just the way it's kind of set up. So I try not to look up too often. Uh, the only time I look up, for whatever reason, I always know when the concession stand has a really long line because, for whatever reason, that always distracts me and it makes me look up, <laughs> which is so random. But Are you coaching hungry? I am, and I'm always hungry. And the fact that my daughter 
like ran up a huge bill at the concession stand last year because she was buying people drinks and saying, that's my co- mom who's coaching. So I think now I always look for her because I'm fearful that I am buying all the other eight-year-olds in the stands Gatorades. <laughs> it's not a surprise, though, that fans turn out in droves, not just for softball, the support for women's sports at Penn State, whether it's community or from the administration, is second to none. It's phenomenal. It's absolutely amazing. And I think, you know, it's one of the biggest things I think we have in recruiting is that when you walk around, you know, everything is equal. You know, you don't have a Taj Mahal for one male sport, and it's not the same for the female sport. And I think, you know, them being one of the first universities to really commit to that years ago, that has really shown the success on both sides because we are one team. There is that camaraderie amongst one another. And I think that trickles down. With them setting that standard, it, it, it trickles down to the fan base where the fan base respects and supports both. Um, so it is, you know, when we travel all over the country – we go to a lot of places. We go to a lot of universities. And uh, in my opinion, there's no place like Penn State. All right, so we'll let you go on this. A successful 2020 season for Coach Lahotech would be? 30-plus uh, wins. And, uh, you know, having you catch our plane to go do our radio for regionals. That'd be great. I'm in. Sign me up. And you heard it here, everybody. He is in. <laughs> as long as it doesn't conflict with baseball. <laughs> nope, because Coop's heard it listening here. right now. <laughs> you listening. heard it here. <laughs> Coach, have a great season. Thanks for doing this. And thanks for being our first guest of 2020 on Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Thank you, as always. I'm Adela Hotek, one of the best. All right, we'll talk to you next time here on Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. If you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to our episodes today. Thank you for tuning in. Let's go state. The official podcast of Penn State Athletics.